Our Father James tells us that every good and perfect gift comes down from you. And we are grateful. It makes no sense to be anything else than grateful. We, we all have things in our lives that are hard and difficult and uh, pressures and afflictions and difficulties, but at the same time, we are extraordinarily blessed by your gifts. The ability to the ability to think, the ability to function, the ability to move our hands and feet and eyes and speak and taste and hear and we just take those things for granted until we're not able to do one of them or more. And then we realize what gifts they are. So no matter what our circumstances, we have much to be thankful for. And we want to express that thanks. I think of 1 Corinthians uh, 4, 7, and what do you have that you did not receive? We're able to make a living because you have given us certain gifts. Some guys, some guys are craftsmen. They've got, uh, they just have an extraordinary ability to use their hands and It's a gift. Other guys um, can do math. Other guys can do science. Other guys can do computer stuff. Other guys drive trucks. Because if nobody drives the trucks, nothing gets where it needs to be. And you oversee it all. Colossians says, whatever you do, do your work heartily, not as unto men, but as unto Christ. It's the Lord Christ whom you serve. We're thankful for the ability to work. We're thankful for work. We would pray for those guys who are looking for work. That you would enable them and help them and make a path for them to a job that would use their skills and gifts and be uh, fulfilling and enable them to make the income that they need to provide for their own. We thank you for your faithfulness. You're always there. You're always available. We're up and down. You're faithful. And we thank you for that. Encourage those of us who need to be encouraged. Calm those of us who are anxious. Give wisdom to those who have major decisions coming up in the next hours, days, that will affect their lives for years to come. We need you. We're weak. But your power is perfected in weakness. And we thank you for Jesus, our Savior, that he has saved us from sin and that he keeps on saving and providing and making a way. It's in his name we pray. Amen.
So tonight, we're continuing uh, this study. Our, our key verse has been Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart, watch over your heart, for from it flows the springs of life. We are told uh, as Christian men that we are to concentrate on our hearts. Biblically speaking, and I'm repeating myself, I, you know, I do this every week because people mean different things by, by the heart. Um, we're not talking about that thing that's pumping inside of you. When the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about the mind. It's talking about the will. It's talking about the emotions. It's talking about the attitudes. It's talking about the conscience. It's talking about you, everything that's inside, everything that comprises you. Um, we're to concentrate on our hearts. We're to guard our hearts because Proverbs 4.23, from it flows the springs of life. It's, um, it's the artesian well of life. If you've ever... Um, seen a spring. Well, up in Oregon, in uh, western Oregon, outside of Sisters, it's actually eastern Oregon, outside of Sisters, Oregon, a little town up in the mountains, in the Cascades, there's a river called the Metolius River. And uh, you, you get around Sisters and you can fly fish. Uh, that, that's a nice river, spring-fed river. What's cool is to go to the source of the Metolius River. It just... There's just a nice size, small mountain, and there's this very small spring that's flowing out of it, and it just keeps flowing downhill. And then you can, and, and it's really wild to watch it because it, it's not two or three hundred yards, and it's deep, and it's wide. How that works, I don't know. But that's the Metolius River. Um, but the artesian spring is flowing up from inside. Jesus said, um, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. All of our behavior comes out of our mouth. Uh, all of our behavior comes out of our heart, rather. Our attitudes come out of the heart. Everything. So that's why the heart is important. When we come to Christ, we are given new hearts. We're born again. 2 Corinthians 5, any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. And we get in the process of, become Christ, of becoming Christ followers. And the way that we do that is our, our heart begins to change. We're given a new heart. But that heart, that mind, begins to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, Romans 12. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The way you renew your mind is through the power of the Word of God, is through Scripture. Um, so that's, that's kind of been our base. Uh, and we've been looking at different men who, um, that are recorded in Scripture, different men and how they lived, and how they lived was determined by how well they governed their hearts and watched their hearts. You see a guy whose life is a train wreck and nobody wants to be around him and he is hypercritical and he is uh, a complainer and he's a whiner and he cuts people with his tongue and all that. 
He's not guarding his heart. He's not watching his heart. Nobody wants to be like that. We've seen guys in Scripture who we want to emulate. We want to be like them. We've seen guys who we don't want to be like. And that's true today. You'll see someone and you'll You'll see how they live their life, and you'll see their character, and you'll see, maybe you get to know them a little bit and see what they're really like. You spend time with them, not necessarily in public. You've seen them in public. Well, when you get to know them behind the scenes, there's, that's the guy, that guy's the same having a cup of coffee as he is, you know, leading a sales seminar or something. I mean, he's got integrity. Integrity is when the pieces add up. When somebody acts one way in public and another way in their home, that's not integrity. There's no congruency. There's no uh, gravitas. It, it, it doesn't make sense. We call that a hypocrite. All has to do with the heart. Now tonight, we're going to look at a guy who you do not want to be your role model. But he is in Scripture, and we have a lot of information about this guy, more than we can cover tonight. So we're going to kind of helicopter his life. Um, his name is Rehoboam. Rehoboam. Solomon's son. Solomon was the wisest man on the face of the earth. But he produced a son who was a great fool. We're going to look at his story in, in Chronicles, in Second Chronicles 10, and then in some following chapters. But here's where we're going tonight. Um, and, and this is a little bit... Um, I'm going to have to explain this a little bit. So here's a long title, all right? Guard your heart, watch over your heart by remembering that God's sovereignty rules over stupidity. I'll say that again. Guard your heart by remembering that God's sovereignty rules over stupidity. Um, let me explain that. Our, our, um, our hearts determine our... Are you having a good day? That's coming out of your heart and the perspective of your heart, of your mind. Are you having a not-so-good day? That comes out of your heart. That comes out of your mind. It comes out of your perspective. We got to get our hearts right. You screw up your back, and you go to the chiropractor, and you can hardly walk in, and the guy gets you in the office, and he sets you down, and depending on what method he uses, he's talking to you, and he's just... You know, how's, you know, how's the wife and kids? And he's behind you, and all of a sudden, boom! And you're better. He just kind of, boom! It's like a front-end alignment. It, 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 the same thing with our hearts. 
You got to get your thinking straight. You got to get your attitude straight. It's all perspective. Let me explain to you what I mean by this. You have to watch your heart, guard your heart, by remembering that God's sovereignty rules over stupidity. As you go through life, you will encounter, you, you have expectations in life. You kind of have a picture of what you want your life to look like, and you have expectations, and you're asking God to bless you and give you favor in certain areas of your life and your business and this and your kids and, you know, health and all of that. But now and then you will encounter a stunning and shocking reversal of fortune of um, something will pull the rug out from under you and what you had wanted to happen did not happen. In fact, the worst happened. And sometimes these stunning reversals that shake us to our core and stun us are the result of stupid decisions by others. Sometimes it's us. But stupid decisions by others who are in high places or even low places. can cause a stunning reversal in your life and affect your hopes and your well-being, not only for now, but in the foreseeable future. When that happens, how do you handle it? It's easy to get bitter towards the person. It's easy to resent the person. It's easy to blame the person. It's e you can go all kinds of places that are not productive or helpful to your own well-being and your own heart. When these things happen, what must happen is that you only guard your heart by factoring in the unseen hand of God's sovereignty in the affairs of your life. The sovereignty of God is the great peace giver. The sovereignty of God that he is in charge, that he is in control, is something that, it's interesting how many Christians fight it. It's interesting how many Christians don't like it. But it's everywhere in Scripture and the more you wrap your arms around it, the greater peace and stability you will have. It will increase your ability to sleep well at night because God is sovereign. What does it mean that God is sovereign? Psalm 103, his throne is in the heavens, his sovereignty rules over all. The sovereignty of God is God's absolute control over all things. Derek Thomas has an article, 
and, and um, that's called God's, God's sovereignty and our responsibility. And this is always what comes up when you talk about the sovereignty of God. God's in control of all things. Well, what about me? And what about my will? And what about my choices? Uh, we have wills. We make choices. We're responsible for our choices. Yeah, how does that work? If God's in control of everything, and how does that sort out? Thomas says this, God is sovereign. That's absolute control. God is sovereign in creation, providence. That's the details of everything in the world. Redemption and judgment. That is the central assertion of Christian belief. God is king and Lord of all. Psalm 115 says, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. To put this another way, nothing, this is profound and it's accurate. To put this another way, nothing happens without God willing it to happen willing it to happen before it happens, and willing it to happen in the way that it happens. Do you buy that? It's what the Scripture teaches. He's in absolute control over all things. Now i got to watch this clock closely. Um... Now, when you first hear that, it might be a little unsettling. Because, well, you know, do I have no say in anything? Do I have no say in the matter? I mean, am I just a robot? No, you're not a robot. Well, it sure sounds like God's got this thing wired. He does. But at the same time, I'm responsible. A little bit more. God is sovereign in providence. What's providence? It's his continued provision. Um, it's the provision of God. You can't breathe without him. In him we live and move and breathe and have our being, Acts 17 says. He gives all men breath. And every man, every woman, every kid on the face of the earth, when you are born, you have X amount of breaths. Psalm 139, 16, David said, Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. David's talking about when he was in the womb. David's talking about before he showed up on ultrasound. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in thy book they were all written, the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. That's quite a statement. God determines um, the moment of your conception. He determines the moment of your birth. He determines the moment of your death. Hebrews, uh, I think it's 9, says it's appointed for a man once to die, and then comes judgment. It's not suggested, it's appointed. You can't die until your work is done. You're immortal until your work is done. In fact, some of you have had experiences where you should have died and you didn't. If you look in Psalm 68, go down a few verses. It'll say, to the Lord belongs escapes from death. Because you see, as David said in Psalm 31, 14, my times are in your hand. All of my times. That's true for you, your wife, your kids, everybody. My times are in your hand. The good times, the hard times, the difficult times. There's a time to plant, there's a time to reap. 
There's a time to rejoice. There's a time to grieve. There's a time. All the events of life, my times are in your hands. God has a plan for your life, and he will accomplish it. Psalm 138, the Lord will accomplish that which concerns me. Doesn't say, boy, I sure hope he will. The Lord will accomplish that which concerns me. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in Christ Jesus. Now, this is the sovereignty of God. This isn't on us. This is what God does. We, we don't know the time frame. We don't know how long we got. We're just showing up every day and trying to get through life. Are we not? We are. You say, but what about my will? I've got a will. I mean, I, I make choices, but it sounds like God's got everything predetermined and all that. Yeah, um, ask your pastor. We'll let him explain it. No, it's right in the Scriptures. It, it, that seems like a uh, contradiction. God has a will, God has a plan, yet I have a choice, and I'm responsible for my choices? Yeah, yeah. I had a professor in seminary. Uh, it was a big classroom with uh, tiered seats, and we had a big blackboard. He said this thing called blackboards. Now it's whiteboard, but it was that whole wall was blackboards. And he went over that blackboard, took a piece of chalk, and he just touched it, and there was a little tiny white dot. He says, "That's you, and that's your life, and that's your will." He said, the rest of it is God and his will. You count. You're important. But God's will is bigger than your will. This is called an antinomy, J.I. Packer says. An antinomy is an apparent contradiction between two facts. The key word is apparent. Contradiction. I'm responsible for my choices. My choices count. Our, our kids are responsible. That's why we're trying to train them and equip them to make good choices. And no, you don't want him for your friend, you know. No, you, no yeah, that, that, that guy's a good guy. You know, you, you want them to choose well. We're trying to train them. We're trying to teach them. We're trying to equip them so that they can make good choices because they're going to become adults. And da-da-da, you get it. You get the drill. We're responsible for our choices. Um, my choices count, and they come from me. Proverbs 16 says, The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. I'm glad that God has a plan for my life. We all start out with a plan. We all know what we want to do. We've got this idea what we want our lives to look at. And, you know, when we're young, we take off, well, I'm going to do this and this and this, and how's that working out for you, by the way? For most of us, we kind of hit a ditch somewhere along the line. And, uh, you know, it's a good thing to hit a ditch and to have your dreams and hopes and all that. They crash, and then you call out to the Lord and say, Lord, I need you, because you do. The mind of man plans his way, the Lord directs his steps. I am so thankful 
that God has directed my steps because what I wanted and what I thought was best, my gosh, I'm so glad he had something else in mind. And sometimes my dreams go down in flames and my hopes go down in flames and it's devastating and you grieve and you get depressed. And I, but see, he's just steering you to the next chapter. One of my professors put it this way. When you look at God's will and human responsibility, God has a plan for the ages, and it's going to happen. We're on track. We're on schedule. Uh, in regard to how it affects us, there is certainty without compulsion. Certainty without compulsion. God's got a plan, and it's certain. But, I use this illustration. Uh, I married my wife, Mary, and I really didn't want to marry her. I wasn't that attracted to her. I didn't think she was that cute. Honestly, I could hardly stand to be around her. <laughs> but, I was kind of just pulled in and I knew it was God's will, and I thought, crap. <laughs> All right, okay. Gosh, 40 years of, gosh. Why are you laughing? Because that's not how it worked. I married her because I wanted to marry her. I wanted to spend time with her. I wanted to go out with her. I wanted to talk to her. I, I, you know what I'm talking about. All these other girls around, but I wanted to be with her. I wanted to know her, and I wanted to live with her and go through life with her. I didn't go into that marriage kicking and screaming, saying, Jesus, no, no, Jesus, please, please. I wanted it. You see? Now, I think it was certain because I think God has a plan for my life and he has a plan for your life. But it wasn't under compulsion. You get it? Sure. Now, sometimes he's got to kill our dreams and kill our hopes because we are so fixated on them and we hold on to them so tightly and we think we know best, but we don't know best. He knows what's best. Sometimes we just got to hit a wall going 100 miles an hour and everything gets devastated and you think, I've screwed up my life and I'll never recover and I'm finished. But as Ray Steadman used to say, resurrection power always works best in a graveyard. He'll resurrect you and show you what he's got in mind. Now, with that in mind, what in the world does that have to do with anything that we're going to study tonight. It has all kinds of things to do with it. Because we're going to see a guy by the name of Rehoboam who was a fool. 
he, uh, honestly, he wasted his life. We have, as we've gone through each week's study, we have, and we've looked at a certain individual, we have uh, pointed out that there are epitaphs in Scripture that describe a man's life and how he lived. The epitaph for Rehoboam is found in Second Chronicles 12, verse 14. It says, he did evil. Now watch this. He did evil. Why did he do evil? Here's why. He did evil because he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. There's the heart again. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life, the behavior of life, the attitudes of life, the decisions of life, the direction of your life. Uh, he did evil because he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. Even though he was raised by one of the wisest men ever, Solomon, who would have taught him the truths in the book of Proverbs. But he had his own plan and he had his own agenda. Um, and he did some damage. He did some damage quickly. Um, we are going to turn to Second Chronicles 10 tonight. And um, as I've said, there's a lot of stuff on this guy. He's a, he's a fascinating study. But I'm going to pick out some things that uh, really stand out about him. When his dad died, we come to Second Chronicles 10. And it says, Then Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. Let me go ahead and just give you our, uh, our outline tonight. There are three factors in this guy's life. The first one is Rehoboam's situation. Rehoboam's situation is in 1 Chronicles 10, 1 through 5. It's the situation that faced him immediately upon ascending to the throne. This guy had no honeymoon. He had to make a huge decision. So Rehoboam's situation is the first thing we're going to look at. The second thing we're going to look at uh, is Rehoboam's stupidity. And then thirdly, we're going to look at God's sovereignty over Rehoboam's stupidity because his stupidity affected a lot of people negatively, but God was still sovereign and at work in their lives in spite of the stupidity of the guy over them who was making decisions. And some of you have people that are making decisions concerning your future or your work or your job or this or that, and it's out of your hands, and if it's not handled right, it's going to affect your future and your well-being and your status and all kinds of stuff. I'm aware of a guy right now who has got a stellar reputation, walks with the Lord, has been with the same company 30 years, da 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 a recent hire, a woman just accused him of sexual 
harassment. Now, I know some of the guys in that company that are above him. It's going to work out for him because there are some godly men who have got discernment, and they'll take care of him because they believe him not to be guilty of the charge. Um, but you've seen situations, and so have I, where someone is falsely accused, and those above, for political correctness or this reason or that reason, or whatever, and I mean, that's it, you're out. It's not a wise move, it's a stupid move. And then there you are, and you have been adversely affected by someone else's stupidity. Be a thousand illustrations of that. Let's dive into Rehoboam here. Uh, what was the situation? Then Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. When Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it, for he was in Egypt where he had fled from the presence of King Solomon, Jeroboam returned from Egypt. Now we're going to meet Jeroboam, and we're probably going to talk about him next week. But Jeroboam, his story is intertwined with Rehoboam. Who would name somebody Rehoboam? Who would name somebody Jeroboam? But they did. Uh, they're not related. Jeroboam, in the previous chapter, had worked for Rehoboam's dad, Solomon. We'll get into that in a minute, okay? But Solomon got angry at him. He had to go to Egypt, and when Solomon died, he makes his way back, okay? So they sent and summoned him. When Jeroboam and all Israel came, this is all Israel, this is all 12 tribes. By the way, under David, before David, the tribes were just tribes. They had their lands, and, you know, they had their own thing going on. But under David, the 12 tribes were united. The nation was united. And if I'm not mistaken, it was seven years. The capital was at Hebron, and then he took Jerusalem, and David reigned for 33 years in Jerusalem, and then Solomon reigned for 40 years. They had a united, they had a nation that was united and together and heading in the same direction under God's leadership. And they had, they were blessed, and this was 80 years. In 72 hours, Rehoboam is going to destroy it. He's absolutely going to destroy the unity of the nation. Verse 4, uh, verse 3, so they sent and summoned him. When Jeroboam and all Israel came, they spoke to Rehoboam, saying, your father made our yoke hard. Now, uh, he had taxed them, and, you know, they're building different things and conscripted some of the kids to work. Anyway, uh, your father made our yoke hard. Now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us. Now, watch this, and we will serve you. He said to them, return to me again in three days. So the people departed. So he's going to take 72 hours to figure this out. So now we come to his stupidity, which would be verses uh, 6 
down to 14. Then Rehoboam consulted with the elders who had served his father Solomon while he was still alive, saying, how do you counsel me to answer this people? He went to the, the wise men who had been around. They had some miles on their tires. They weren't rookies. They'd seen all kinds of stuff. Uh, you know, these were the right guys to talk to. He said to his father's counselors, how do you counsel me to answer this people? They spoke to him saying, now watch this. If you will be kind to this people and please them and speak good words to them, they will be your servants forever. That's good counsel. In other words, you know, they've got a legitimate complaint. And all you got to do is show them that you're listening and that you care and take some of the burden off their shoulders. And, you, and I'll tell you what, you'll have their loyalty forever. They all said that. Verse 8, but he forsook the counsel of the elders, which they had given him, and consulted with the young men who grew up with him and served him. That's stupid. He consulted with his fraternity brothers. He consulted with the guys, and they'd go down to the beach at spring break and hit the bars. And so what do these guys say? They spoke to him and said, Thus you shall say to the people who spoke to you, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter for us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's loins. Basically what that means, huh, you know what it means. My little finger. You think my dad was tough? This is locker room stuff. My, my, my little finger is thicker than my father's sexual organ. That's what you'd expect out of a bunch of young, dumb guys. No brains, no wisdom, no discernment. Uh, you be tough, man. You know, you just show them how tough you are. Okay? Whereas my father loaded you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips. I'll discipline you with scorpions. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day as the king had directed, saying, Return to me on the third day. The king answered them harshly. And King Rehoboam forsook the counsel of the elders. He spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to my... Add to it, my father disciplined you with whips. I'll discipline you with scorpions. That's what he did. Now, let's make four observations about his stupidity. Okay? You know, these, this stuff in the Old Testament was written for our instruction. It's in there for a reason so that we might learn from it. I don't want to forget this, this quote from Alexander White. We'll get to the four reasons. But Alexander White 
was a great uh, pastor and preacher in Scotland. Uh, he died around 1921. Uh, he would preach all through the Scriptures, but he loved to preach sermons, uh, biographical sermons on individuals. Here they are, all the guys that he preached on. One Sunday on one guy in the Scripture. Here's how he opens with Rehoboam. Just by one insolent, that means rude and disrespectful, just by one insolent and swaggering word, King Rehoboam lost forever the ten tribes of Israel. And all Rehoboam's insane and suicidal history is written in our Bibles for the admonition and instruction of all hot-blooded, ill-natured, and insolent-spoken men among ourselves. I like that. This is a men's Bible study. And you guys are just little lambs. Nah. You know, it's, you know what worries me? I can be hot-headed and rude and disrespectful and arrogant and unteachable just like this guy. But see, this is not what I want, and it's not what you want. And it's not what our families want. And it's not what your employees want. And it's, not, it's just not what you want. So back to four observations about Rehoboam's stupidity. First observation. Uh, Rehoboam was stupid because he was double-minded. He was stupid because he was double-minded. Uh, James 1, verses 5 through 8. So he was in a situation. He's a, he's, he just takes the throne. This is a big deal. Jeroboam and ten tribes. So there's, ten, there's 12 tribes. So Jeroboam and the leaders of, the, of ten tribes, he's of the tribe of Judah and the small tribe of Benjamin. What happens is he splits the country. And really, it's just him and Jerusalem with the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin and the other ten he has um, offended and... They're not putting up with this anymore. What he needed in the crisis was wisdom. Now, he asked for counsel, but his problem was he was double-minded. Again, to James chapter 1, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach. It will be given to him. That's a flat-out promise. If you need wisdom from God, ask him. He'll give it to you. You say, yeah, I got a situation coming up in, you know, three or four months. And, man, I'm, you know, I need wisdom. Well, ask him. Now, is he going to immediately just send you a FedEx letter and boom, 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 here's what you do? Probably not. But he'll give it to you, and he'll give it to you in time. He might give it to you in pieces, uh, to the disciples who were going to be, you know, pulled up before the council and be persecuted, Jesus said, don't worry about you will say, don't worry about what you will say when you're pulled up before them. It shall be given to you in that hour. Sometimes God gives you wisdom just before you need it, but he'll give it to you. Sometimes he'll give it incrementally as you're working your way to having to make a decision. You talk with, the Bible says, he who walks with wise men will be wise. You got some wise men in your life, you respect their walk with the Lord, talk to them. 
I've talked to three guys this week. I respect their counsel and laid out some things, and I wanted to get their feedback. It was very helpful to me. I've got several guys in my life, anything that's of significance, I talk to them. What do you think? They'll call me. Hey, let me run this by you. We're looking out for each other. He who walks with wise men will be wise. Proverbs also says that in abundance of counselors, there's wisdom. Talk to two or three guys. I can't tell you how many times I've had three people tell me the exact same thing who are walking with the Lord. And when that happens, I listen because I respect their walk. So you want wisdom, ask God. It will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Lord, I need your wisdom. And then you walk away and say, man, I sure hope he gives me wisdom. Man, what if he doesn't give me wisdom? Oh my gosh, what am I going to do if he doesn't give me wisdom? Hey, chill out, man. He just said he'd give it to you. So just walk cleanly. Don't screw around with sin. You got sin in your life? Confess it. Deal with it. Get clean. Say, Lord, I'm in. I want your wisdom here. I don't want to mess around with stuff. And he'll give you the wisdom. You don't have to worry about it. He'll give it to you. I'm telling you, he'll give it to you. When we sold our house, we had an offer on the house that came in, didn't expect it, on a Sunday morning, and I'm told a couple of things, and the agent's coming over, and I'm thinking, wait a minute. I call my CPA. He hadn't left for church yet, and I got him on the phone, and I'm running this by him, and, and, and then my agent's saying this, and Mary's looking at me. I said, give me a minute. And I walked into my study, and I shut the door, and I said, Lord, I can't screw this up. There's too much riding on this. I have to know. I, I need you to make it so clear that neither Mary nor I can miss it. I need it crystal clear. I need that kind of wisdom. And I walked back in there. And I'm going to say within five minutes I had it. Because the broker gave me a piece of information I didn't have. And Mary and I looked at each other and went, there it was. And we were one mind. I've seen him do it a hundred times. Uh, if you doubt, seven, for that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. A double-minded man is a man whose soul, whose heart is divided between faith in the Scriptures and the world. So you see, what's Rehoboam doing? He's going back and forth between godly counsel and the world. He's Psalm 1. Psalm 1 introduces 150 of the Psalms. How blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. You don't listen to those who don't walk with the Lord. You don't listen to those who don't feed on God's Word. You don't listen to those who can't discern spiritual things. They have another mindset. 
You don't let them influence you. You don't follow the direction. You You don't let them influence you. How blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Stand in the seat of, uh, in the path of sinners, sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates, he thinks, both day and night. And he shall be like a tree firmly planted by streams of living water. And in whatever he does, he is fruitful, and God's favor prospers him. The wicked are not so, they are like chaff, they will not stand in the judgment. There you go. So who are you going to listen to? If you listen to him, he'll give you wisdom you don't have. So what he'll do? Why would you not listen? Well, there have been plenty of times I haven't listened. It's called stupid. But hopefully as we get miles on the tires and we get a little bit older, we start learning. Man, I'm not doing that again. What do you have for me here, Lord? Second reason. Sometimes we feel, you know, we're right now, us, we feel that we got leaders that are stupid. And the reason you feel they're stupid is that they're stupid. <laughs> and they don't have the wisdom of God. And they don't, and, you know. Now, you got, God always has his Daniels in government but there are a lot of folks that aren't listening to the Lord, yet they're in high places, and we see them making decisions that affect our lives, and we know they're wrong decisions, okay? And they affect our kids. Second observation, when leaders are stupid, you go ahead and obey the Lord. When leaders are stupid, you go ahead and obey the Lord. That's true at your work. If they want you to falsify something, you don't do that. No, I'm not signing that. No, you've got convictions. Well, well, you, well, you know, I might get fired. Let them fire you. There's lines you, you don't cross because you belong to Christ. You're not double, well, maybe just this once. It's never just this once, ever. That's a path. Uh, look at Second Chronicles 12. This gets really interesting because, so the nation splits, okay? When the kingdom of Rehoboam was established and strong, he and all Israel with him forsook the law of the Lord. What's that all about? Well, three years prior, the nation split. And when the nations split, go back to 11, chapter 11, verse 12. It says, so Rehoboam held Judah and Benjamin, two tribes. The other ten were called the northern tribes. Now watch this. Moreover, the priest and the Levites who were in all Israel, all Israel stood with him from all their districts. So that's all the guys. Guys in the north, guys in the south. These are the priests. Now watch this. For the Levites left their pasture lands and their property and came to Judah and Jerusalem. They came from all over. They came from the north. Why? For Jeroboam and his sons had excluded them from serving as priests to the Lord. 
We'll get into this next week. Once Jeroboam got, this is Jeroboam now, the guy in the north. Once he got control of the ten, he got up there, and three times a year, all the men of Israel were to go to Jerusalem to worship. And he started thinking, you know what? If those guys go to Jerusalem, I'm going to lose them. Uh, we can't have that. And if they go to the temple, if they go to the temple to worship, I'm going to lose them. So you know what he did? He set up his own counterfeit religion, and he set up two golden calves. Heard that before somewhere. Set up two golden calves. You don't have to go to Jerusalem. Oh, that's a long way. You can go to one of these two cities up here. It'll be a lot convenient. I mean, it's an easy commute. You know, you know there's a Bass Pro there. You can take the kids. You can, it'll be pretty neat. He set up a whole alternative religion with a different, it was a counterfeit. And he got his own priest, and he said, all right, guys, here's how we're going to do this, and you lead worship to these golden calves. The Levites wouldn't do it. He said, no. And he excluded them from serving. He said, at 15, he set up priests of his own for the high places, for the satyrs and for the calves which he had made. Those from all the tribes of Israel who set their hearts on seeking the Lord God of Israel followed them to Jerusalem. So there was a remnant who loved the Lord God. They followed the priest. The priest says, we're not doing this. The people who looked around said, we're not doing this either. They went down to Jerusalem to sacrifice to the Lord God of their fathers. And they strengthened the kingdom of Judah, that's Rehoboam, and supported him, the son of Solomon, for three years, for they walked in the ways of David and Solomon for three years. Now go down to 12.1. When the kingdom of Rehoboam was established and strong, he and all Israel with him forsook the law of the Lord. You see how this guy's double-minded? For three years, God blesses him. Things are going great. <clears throat> He's got a remnant of strong believers. But after five, after, what does it say? After he was established and strong, they forsook the law of the Lord. This guy's double-minded. He can't make up his mind. Now, I've got to show you something. The third point is this. Here's the third point. It's almost identical to the second. When leaders continue to be stupid, you continue to obey the Lord. The more someone gets away from the Lord God and the more disobedient someone is, they lose wisdom and they become dumb and dumber. And they keep getting worse and worse. Now, they departed from the Lord. Now, here's the deal. One commentator said this about chapter 12. Now, remember, he had this thing going on with Jeroboam in the north. One commentator said, so he had his defenses up on the northern border because he had this thing going on with Jeroboam. You see? Now, what he was going to do back in 11, he was going to go up and attack Jeroboam. And I'm sorry to keep flipping back and forth. 
But if you go back to 11.1, Rehoboam went back to Jerusalem. He assembled an army of 180,000 chosen men, and he was going to go up north and attack Jeroboam and the ten tribes. But in verse 4, God says, You shall not go up and fight against your relatives. Return every man to his house, for this thing is for me. And shockingly, he obeyed. So God had told him not to go up and fight, and he obeyed. But he still had defenses up there. While he's getting defenses up there, and he's strong, he thinks he's okay, and he's got all his focus on the northern border. In 12... Look at verse 2. And it came about in King Rehoboam's fifth year, because they had been unfaithful to the Lord, that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem with 1,200 chariots and 60,000 horsemen. This guy is dumb and dumber because he won't listen to the Lord God. He's got his eye on the northern border, and while he's got his eye on the northern border, the guy from Egypt comes right up through the southern border and takes over. The further leaders get away from God, the dumber they get. Turn to Job 12. In Job 12, we have, this is what happens to any nation when they get away from God and continue to deny God. Job 12, 23, he makes the nations great, then destroys them. He enlarges the nations, then leads them away. He deprives of intelligence the chiefs of the earth's people and makes them wander in a pathless waste. They grope in darkness with no light, and he makes them stagger like a drunken man. With a few exceptions, that's pretty much the Congress of the United States of America. Is it not? There's no wisdom, there's no common sense. Are you kidding me? What the heck happened? The fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom. They have no fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is beginning of knowledge. They have no fear of the Lord. They suppress the truth and unrighteousness. They take what is good and call it bad. They take what is bad and they call it good. They suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Even though they knew God, they did not acknowledge him as God, but suppress the truth and unrighteousness, Romans 1. So what do you do when you have leaders like that? You keep obeying the Lord. You just keep obeying him. He'll deliver you from stupid. And he'll give you wisdom for your family. Fourth principle about Rehoboam and his stupidity. He was stupid because he cared more about appearances than authenticity. Let me show you what I mean. Second Chronicles 12. Aren't these guys fascinating, this stuff? I mean, you just read it and you kind of blow through it and you think, that's kind of dull and boring. And then you start digging into this. So look what happens. The king of Egypt comes in, and I mean, he just comes in with a bulldozer and takes over. Um, but here's, once again, Here's, here's old Rehoboam. He's double-minded, so he thinks he's independent of the Lord. Now because the Egyptians come in in verse <clears throat> 5, the prophet says, 
to Rehoboam, uh, you have forsaken me, so I've forsaken you to this Egyptian king. You've abandoned me, so I'm going to abandon you. So the king humbled himself and said, the Lord is righteous. So now he's back in the camp. And, you know, and the Lord listened to him. Um, and God says, my wrath won't be poured out on Jerusalem by means of Shishak. I mean, he's going to be around, but I'm going to restrain him. Note this, but verse 9. So Shishak, king of, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem and took the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's palace. He took everything. He even took the golden shields which Solomon had made. Shields made out of pure gold. That was a judgment. Now watch this guy. Then Rehoboam made shields of bronze in their place and committed them to the care of the commanders of the guard who guarded the door of the king's house. And as often as the king entered the house of the Lord, the guards came and carried them and brought them back into the guard's room. He wanted to keep up appearances. Bronze is shiny like gold, but it wasn't gold. This is a lot of guys who are double-minded. They want to look like Christians. They want to have a Christian testimony. They want to meet guys and say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian businessman, and I'm this and this and this. But they're not. It's appearance. That's stupid. Because when it's appearance, you're not guarding your heart. It's about the heart. It's always about the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the on the heart. Last observation. Third observation is God's sovereignty. So we look at this story and we just shake our heads uh, what happened to Rehoboam and I, I want to show you two things here. We're almost done. I want to, I want, uh, and see this is all, we're looking at this the playing field of Rehoboam's life. And you got Jeroboam, and you got the tribes, and he splits the country. And what if you lived during that time, and you see this guy making this dumb decision, and, and, but you're in the northern tribe. You say, man, I'm sure glad we're not down there with that, with that Jeroboam guy. I mean, he thinks he's some kind of hard guy. I'm glad I'm in one of the northern tribes. And then you get one of the northern tribes, and Jeroboam was a godly guy, and, you know, the Lord was on him and all this. And all of a sudden, Jeroboam, you know, you start saying, what? We're not, going, we're not going to the temple. We're doing what? Golden calves? What the heck's going on here? You see, when leaders above you make stupid decisions, it has an impact on you. It has an impact on your kids. And we tend to only see it from one level. Note God's sovereignty here. I'm going to show it to you in two places. Go back to... Go back to 10, verse 15. The previous verses is where Rehoboam listened to the young men and said to all the tribes, I'm going to make things tougher than my dad ever was on you. And as a result, they're going to take off and he's going to split the nations. Now, look at verse 15. So the king of 10. So the king did not listen to the people. Watch this. For it was a turn of events from the Lord, that the Lord might establish his word, which he spoke through Ahijah, the Shilonite, to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. What does that mean? It means God has a plan and God has a purpose and nothing will thwart it. 
let me tell you what that means. If you look back in 1 Kings 11, this goes back to when, you guys still with me or am I losing you? All right, this goes back, this is called history. This goes back to when Jeroboam was working for Solomon, okay? And he had favor from Solomon. We've got to find this. Um, okay, look at First um, Kings 11. Now the man, Jeroboam, was a valiant warrior, and when Solomon saw that the young man was industrious, he appointed him all over all the forced labor of the house of Joseph. It came about at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, found him on the road. Ahijah had clothed himself with new cloak, and both of them were alone in the field. Then Ahijah took hold of the new cloak, which was on him, and tore it into 12 pieces. He said to Jeroboam, take for yourself 10 pieces. Now watch this. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and give you 10 tribes. But he will have one tribe for the sake of my, other than one of Judah, for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen from all the tribes of Israel. Because Here's why. They have forsaken me and have worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of Moab, Nocom, the god of the sons of Ammon, and they have not walked in my ways, doing what is right in my sight, observing my statutes and my ordinances as his father David did. Nevertheless, I won't take the whole kingdom out of his hand because of David, 35, but I will take the kingdom from his son's hand and give it to you, even ten tribes. But to his son I'll give one tribe, and that my servant David may have a lamp always before me in Jerusalem, the city where I have chosen for myself and put my name. I will take you, you shall reign over whatever you desire, and you shall be king over Israel. Then it will be that if you listen to all that I command you and walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight by observing my statutes and my commandments as my servant David did, then I will be with you and build you an enduring house as I built for David, and I will give Israel to you. That was the promise to Jeroboam, and he too was double-minded because he got up there and didn't believe God would fulfill his promise. But you see, you see, there's more than what you just see. We're just looking at the level playing field. Jeroboam, Rehoboam, you know, the young men, the old guys. You know, it's like watching a football game. But see, then you find out it was a turn of events from the Lord. It's, it's like being in a plane and looking down. God's in charge of events. God's involved in human affairs. And you got it again in Second Chronicles. You remember in 11 when Rehoboam was going to go up and get his army and fight those guys? And the Lord intervened in verse 4 and said, You shall not go up and fight against your relatives. Return every man to his house. For this thing is from me. What thing? That the nation is split. That's from me. And I orchestrated it. Even though you were involved, and he's involved, and all these, God's overseeing the whole thing. You know what that tells me? Sometimes I get worried because of these leaders, and they're doing stupid things. 
Are they out of their minds? Are they trying to dest- are they trying to destroy us? Is that what they're trying to do? I mean, you just but God's overseeing it all. And here I am, you know, with my family and my little grandkids, and what's what's their life going to look like in forty years? And dead? see, you're thinking the same thing. So what do we do? Psalm 11.3, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? You just keep following the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. Don't care what the nation does. Don't care what, we're serving the Lord. The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro about the earth, looking for those whose hearts are fully his, whose hearts are fully his, that he may strongly support them. We get, um, we get curveballs thrown at us all the time. Yeah, we do, because we have our plans, and we have our hopes, and we have our dreams. And, and sometimes it happens because people above us are stupid and unwise, but other times it just happens maybe because it's wise. I remember years ago, we had just moved to Dallas I had done one of my first men's, I'd done the first men's conference I'd ever done in Irving. And afterwards, a guy asked to have lunch with me, and I had lunch with him, and we sit down, and he said, well, he said, I'm in, uh, I'm in a very tough spot. I, I've been with IBM for X amount of years. And I've been very, you know, he told me his position, he'd been very successful. And you know, the thing about IBM Back then, they never let anybody go. That was the thing about it. If you were with IBM, you were secure. He was one of the first guys they ever let go because everything was changing. And he, he was, he, he, and the more he began to talk, the more animated he became. And he said, I got to tell you what's happened to me. I can't believe this because I've been with them for, you know, 19 or 22 years or whatever. And uh, uh, I was let go last week and I can't believe this. Uh, I, I mean, he, he, he said, I just cannot believe what has happened to me. I, I just don't understand this. It, uh, and he said, I, uh, I'm very careful with my finances. I, I, I have a financial plan. And uh, my plan was to stay there. Um, my plan, I believe he said five years. It might have been seven. I can't remember. My plan was to stay there five more years, and I would be set financially and would accomplish all my goals and be able to retire and all this. I mean, he laid it out in detail. And he said, but this has happened. I don't know what to make of this. And he said, I just, what, was, what is your perspective on this? And I said, well, y- yeah, I mean, man, I mean, I understand. You know, this is shocking and stunning, and I'm sorry to hear this. And he said, well, I don't know what I'm going to do, and I, I don't know how I'm going to make it. And, I, I'm, you know, and I said, well, y- you know, I said, you know, you know Jesus, don't you? I mean, you know him in your heart? I mean, you really have a relationship with him? You know him? He goes, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, I do. Yeah, I know him. I said, none of this was a surprise to him. None of it. I I wasn't sure he was buying that. He was so shell-shocked. He said, said, listen, I've got to be practical here. I I mean, I've got some severance, and then I don't know what I'm going to do. And I mean, I had this plan. He loved that plan. He, He loved that plan he had. And at a certain point... 
He said, I just don't understand this. I just, I, I don't know how this could have happened. And I said, you know the Lord. Yeah. I said, let me tell you what happened. Those guys laid you off, right? Yeah. I said, actually, they didn't lay you off. The Lord Jesus Christ laid you off. He said, what? I said, let me give you a verse. Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it whatever way he wishes. The HR committee's hearts are in the hand of the Lord. He turns it whatever way he wishes. God runs every human heart in the world. We have a will. We're responsible for our choices. But God turns events. God turns Read in the Old Testament how, but he turned their hearts. He turned their hearts. He inclined their hearts. God moves. God works. I said, I said, let me tell you something. If the Lord Jesus didn't want you laid off, those guys could have been unanimous and they would not have laid you off. They have to obey him because he's sovereign. They laid you off because he wants you laid off. And I understand your dilemma and your worry. I mean, I get that. I mean, I went through a deal a few years ago and I understand it totally. It's scary. It's frightening. But I'm going to tell you something. If he laid you off, it's because you're walking into a new chapter, and if you look back in your life, you'll see chapters that are as clearly marked in your life. You can date them. You can title them. You've seen chapters where God has led you. He's got chapters ahead of you that he's already written that are as clear as the ones that are behind you that you can see. You just can't see them yet. Because he's sovereign. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or mule whose trappings include bit and bridle to keep them in check. I said, don't fight him, man. Psalm 57, 2. David surrounded by thousands of Saul's soldiers who want to kill him. He's burrowed into the ground, and they could find him in a moment and kill him. And David says, I will cry to God most high, to God who accomplishes his purpose in my life. He will sin from heaven and save me. You're immortal till your work is done. God's got his eye on his people. It doesn't matter how stupid it gets or how foolish it gets. And see, this is important for your heart. So here's what I would recommend. Don't watch too much news. Don't listen to too much talk radio because it just gets your blood pressure, screws up your heart. But get some scripture verses in your mind and dwell on them and think on them. My times are in your hand. The Lord will accomplish that which concerns me. Psalm 37. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. We're good. We're good. Because we know the king of kings. He's got your front. He's got your back. He's got your flanks. And he's got your enemies. That sounds like a cheeseburger to me. Let's pray. Thank you, Father.
for what you've done. We don't have to be sick with worry. No one can touch us without your permission. No one. People in the Scripture all the time would be threatened by unwise, stupid people. Esther and all of the Jews were threatened by wicked Haman. And Haman wind up hanging from the rope which he intended for Mordecai. You've got a way of taking care of us. For the guys who are here, whose hearts have been askew and not at peace because of what's going on, give them your peace, which surpasses all understanding. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We hold on to that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.